delighted that you're here today. Uh, I'm Calvin Pearson. I'm uh, kind of the permanent substitute for when Justin's gone, which is my absolute delight. Uh, he's on vacation today, and so I get the joy of filling in for him. I want to call your attention to something in the uh, bulletin, the worship guide. Uh, there is a response that we're going to be saying together at the end of the sermon. And in a sense, it summarizes what this sermon is about and how we're supposed to apply it. So I just want to alert you to that to kind of have this handy. It'll also be on the screen, but Blake will be reading, leading us in that closing joint prayer that we'll be praying out loud together. So just kind of wanted to, to let you know that's a little different than the way we normally do it. Uh, we've done that before. Uh, back in the fall when I preached, we did that, and it seemed to work well. So we, Blake and I decided, let's, let's do that again. So just be ready for that as it comes. Uh, so, uh, we are starting a new series this morning. Uh, Justin asked me to kick it off this morning. We're going to be looking at a book in the Old Testament, the last book in the Old Testament, entitled Malachi. So, we'll be looking at that at just a moment here. But let's go to the Father and ask him to direct our thoughts to his word specifically. We've been, in a sense, singing to him. And now we need to switch gears and be receiving from him. So let's pray together. Father, thank you that you've given us the gift of music. You invented it. Uh, you, uh, just the, the whole concept of music theory and how all the notes fit together and how they harmonize. And there's a structure there, Lord, that, that's beyond us. We didn't invent it. We've just discovered it. So we thank you for your music. We thank you that we can use music to, to heighten our emotions and heighten our appreciation of you. So, Father, we rejoice that we can do this together and sing together of you. And, oh, Lord, uh, your love for us, oh, it truly is marvelous. It truly is amazing that you would give your son for us. Oh, Lord, thank you for that. Father, I pray that my words this morning would simply highlight what you've already said. I pray, Father, that you would uh, give me just the right words that will help all of us, including myself, even as I preach to myself in a sense. Give me those words so that we can better understand what you're saying here and so that we can have a different life so we can change and be what you want us to be so that people will see that and they will say, what a great God you must have. Tell me about him. Oh, Lord, we want to shine your light in this world. It certainly needs your light. Father, we want to pray for other churches. I want to pray for First Baptist Church Magnolia this morning. We just lift them up to you. We pray that you would bless that congregation. Father, I want to pray for Connect Church, that you would bless that church and let it grow and let it be exactly what you want it to be this morning. So we lift our sister churches up to you, Father. Thank you for them. Thank you that there are people there right now worshiping you just as we are. So bless them, Father. And now, Father, uh, speak to me. Speak to each one of us here. Let us hear you, your word, speaking to us. 
thank you that you do that, Lord. Thank you that, that you take what's written here and, and you do amazing things with it. We trust that you'll be, do, you'll be doing that this morning. All of this through Jesus. Amen. It was quite a while ago. It was right after Weed Eaters came out. Now, technically, that's a line trimmer, uh, not a weed eater. That's the brand name. It's kind of like Kleenex, you know. It's you know, a brand name that becomes the name of the product. Well, it, it's about, oh, my soul, it's been probably almost 40 years ago now. But they it just come out, and most of the time, you had to have the long cord kind of thing with the electric stuff. Well, my in-laws uh, had some property, and they had one with a gasoline engine on it. Man, well, they needed some small trees trimmed out of some pastures, and I was young, and you know, just get after it kind of thing. And I said, well, hey, I can do that. So I went out and got this, this machine, and I found out you could put a blade on the end of that thing. Now, I had never done that before. I'd never seen it before, but there was the blade, and there was the, so I put it on there. Didn't have an instruction book, or if I did, I didn't look at it. And I put it on the wrong way. Now, when you put a blade on the wrong way with a normal saw, extremely dangerous. But with this thing, it wasn't so much dangerous as it was a pain. Because I got out there cutting some small trees, and man, I was going, man, this thing isn't very sharp. Man, this is a lot of work to get this thing. And after about a half hour, it finally dawned on me, maybe I put the blade on the wrong way. So I took it back, put it on, man, there we go. I didn't know that I was doing the thing the wrong way. I had a blind spot. I didn't see it. Now, I'm glad that I discovered it myself and didn't have somebody come up and say, hey, Calvin, you put the, wrong, the blade on the wrong way, dummy, kind of thing. Glad it didn't happen that way. But still, the point is, I had a blind spot. I couldn't see that I needed to make a change. The book of Malachi, the prophet Malachi, spoke to the Israelite nation saying, you've got some blind spots that I want to show you. You're disobeying God in some ways that you're not even aware that you're doing that. And I want to show you this, not so that I can grind you down and say, I'm going to force you to not enjoy life. You've got to live God's way and not your way, and that's that. No, no. The reason he was doing this is so that they could live life to its fullest. That's what God wanted for them. And God used the prophet Malachi to say, hey, You need to change your blade. You don't see that it's wrong, but it is. Now, I want you to open your Bibles to the book of Malachi, and I want to show you how he does this. Just kind of give you an extremely brief overview, but to give you a feel for what this book is like. Now, if you're having trouble finding Malachi, it is the last book of the Old Testament. So go to the New Testament, find those big books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And just before Matthew is the little book of Malachi, and I can't resist it's also been called the Italian prophet, Malachi. It's not Malachi, it's Malachi. Uh, but I just couldn't resist that. Now, notice the very first, very first verse. The oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. That word oracle, it's not used in many other places as an introduction to a prophet. But it is used here. And that word oracle could also be translated burden. I've got a burden. I need to talk to you about something. It's like when someone says, hey, uh, can, uh, can we talk? Now, when they say that, they're not saying, hey, let's go have a conversation about the weather. What they're saying is, we need to talk. 
there's something going on that we need to get straight or whatever it might be. Well, in a sense, that's what that word oracle is sensing, is, is meaning. Malachi says, the or- Israel, we got to talk. You're doing some stuff that, that you don't, aren't aware that is wrong, but, but we got to talk about it. Now, let's just sit down. Let me show you why they're blind. You're going to see a, 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 a phrase that's repeated numerous times in Malachi. Look in verse 2. I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, now, the concept of but you say, look down in verse 6 of the first chapter, right at towards the end of verse 6, priests who despise my name, but you say, and then again in verse 7, but you say, and then over in chapter 2, verse 13 or 14, yet you say, and again in verse 17, yet you say, and again in chapter 3, verses 7 and 8, but you say, but you say. Now, it's like Malachi comes along and says, all right, I'm going to make a statement. But you say, well, wait, 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 Malachi, we're not, we know that God loves us. Wait a minute, Malachi, we know that we're not, what do you mean being inauthentic? Of course we're authentic. And Malachi says, no, you're not. We're not robbing God. Oh, yes, you are. And, and so this, this sense of, of conflict, this sense of we need to talk about this. That's what the book of Malachi does. Now, let's look at this first confrontation, this first, if you will, blind spot that Israel wasn't aware that they were blind to. And by the way, we're blind to it as well. We struggle with this very same thing, even though we don't know. You see, that, that's the problem with the blind spot is we don't know that we've got this problem. So only by God's grace are we going to be able to see it today. But he brings it up and he says, I I want to talk to you about something. The thing he talks to him about is this. I have loved you. Okay, says the Lord. Now, God had made very clear to Israel that he loved them. He told them over and over and over again, as far back as in, in the, the Torah, the Deuteronomy, Genesis, Exodus, those, those books, in Deuteronomy, he makes very clear, he says, I have laid my love upon you. And then throughout all the pro- virtually every prophet that you read, somewhere in that prophecy, there's going to be, I love you, Israel. The book of Psalms is filled with it. The love of the Lord is everlasting. His love endures forever. Over and over and over again, Israel was told, God loves you. But not only was Israel told that God loved them, God showed that he loved them. He started with Abraham. He said, I need to have a nation that's different from other nations to whom the Messiah is going to come. So Abraham, I'm going to start with you. And you're going to be the first Jew, if you will. And we're going to start with you. And from Abraham... There was Isaac, his son, and then Isaac, you had Jacob and Esau. We'll come back to them in a little bit. Jacob and Esau, but Jacob was the one that was chosen. And then his 12 sons became the the 12 tribes of Israel. So God is showing the fact that he loved them by choosing them along the way. But then his love really is shown when this family of 12 sons endures a famine 
But God says, watch what I'm going to do. I'm going to have one of you guys down in Egypt. You're going to go down there where there's plenty of food, and I'm going to save this family, and I'm going to let this family grow down there and thrive and become a, a, a massive group of people, hundreds of thousands of people over several hundred years, but then you're in slavery. But I'm going to deliver you from slavery. And miraculously, he brought them through the Red Sea. He brought them through the wilderness. He brought them to the promised land, showing them that he loved them. So his love was crystal clear. And then time and time and time again through the history of Israel, God redeemed them. God saved them. God rescued them from other nations again and again and again. But then they kept turning away from God. And God said, no, wait a minute. This is not what I had in mind. You guys got to change here, and I need to discipline you. He took them away from the land, destroyed the land, basically, but he did not destroy the people. He took them to Babylon and let them grow there and thrive there, and then he brought them back, again, showing his love. When he brings them back, that's when Malachi steps in. They've been there for about 100 years. They've rebuilt the temple. They've rebuilt the walls. Things are going great again. They're not worshiping idols like they used to, but still there's some blind spots. But God showed his love to Israel over and over and over again, and God has shown and told us as well that he loves us. A few weeks ago, we looked at John 3, 16. How could it be any more clear? God so loved the world, you, individually. He says it, oh, hundreds of times in the New Testament that God loves the world and God loves you. He loves me. God loves us over and over and over again. God says, I love you. And not only that, he showed us his love. The passage that that Devin read. I mean, the fact that he gave his son. What more could we ask what more could, could, could demonstrate God's love for us that Christ died in my place so that my sins could be forgiven, so that I could have a relationship with God? Talk about showing love. God has shown us his love over and over and over again. He's told us about it over and over again. Let's watch a little video that kind of tells us about God loving us, but gives us a little bit of hint that maybe we struggle that with sometime. Let's see this video. God loves you. It's a plaque on a wall in your grandmother's house. It's another Instagram post with another sunset. It's a cheap band-aid on a fatal wound. But God does love you. It's the only reason anything will ever matter. It's the difference between eternal death and endless life. It's the hope that remains when despair is exhausted. It's your place at the table with the Father who has always wanted you. God loves you. That's why I bow on my knees to ask the Father to give you His power deep inside, to keep His Son rooted in your heart so you'll finally be strong enough to understand what cannot be known. God loves you. 
and he does love us, and he loved Israel. But look at how Israel responds to the prophet saying that, thus saith the Lord that I love you. Look at it there, right in the middle of verse 2. But you say, how have you loved us? Israel was saying, "Uh, okay, we hear you, Malachi. God loves us, but I don't know. We've got our doubts about that. We're not so sure that God really does love us. How has God loved us? See, we, we can have these doubts. Now, be careful here because this could be a blind spot. This could be a blind spot that we would say, you know, if I go around and ask you a multiple choice, do you love God? Well, yes, of course I do. Yes, you know. Does God love you? Well, yeah, of course he does. But be careful because what's inside of us, what's our real heart's condition? You know, sometimes we doubt God's love because of, in a sense, what what he does or what he doesn't do. Those disappointments in our life. Maybe those big disappointments in our life that we thought our life was going to be a certain way. Uh, we were going to, you know, get through with school and get a job and get married and have a family, and, and, it, and it hadn't worked out. And there's a deep disappointment in us. Perhaps on, on, on a smaller scale, something you wanted to happen yesterday, but for whatever reason, it simply didn't happen. And there's a great disappointment there because God did not do what you expected him to do or what you wanted him to do like a mother on Mother's Day, and the son doesn't call, what does she think? Oh, he was just busy. Oh, he'll get around to you. He just probably forgot. No big deal. Yeah, I'm sure he still loves me. Yeah. Mom is saying, and down inside she's hurt, and she's wondering, does he really love me? Does he really care about me? I mean, Surely he would have called if he loved me. Well, yeah, I know he does. But, and she struggles with the affection of her son. Husband and wife, you've probably heard of the five love languages, and we speak different love languages. And you've got a husband and a wife, and, and one of them is not speaking the right love language. And the other one goes, they must not love me because they didn't, whatever it might be, give the gift or show physical affection or, or speak or spend time, you know, whatever that language is that they're wanting to come. And so we think, they must not love me. And we do that with God. It's not turned out like I wanted. The job was not offered. The payment didn't come on time. The relationship never healed. The divorce came. Whatever it might be, we say, God, that's not what I wanted. Do you really love me, God? Do you really care about me? Do you see how much I'm hurting, God? Do you really love me? So sometimes it's, it's what God does or doesn't do, but sometimes it's what we do. You see, in relationships, Unfortunately, very often when we offend someone, when we do something either purposefully or accidentally, but we offend someone deeply that really hurts them, they can withhold their love from us, sometimes for the rest of their life. And we know that. And so when we sin against God, either purposefully, well, in a sense, all of our sin is purposeful, 
we sin against God, we go, he, he, he doesn't love me. He knows what I did, and I did it deliberately against him, and, and he knows that, but I, I, I just don't feel like he loves me. And what we're doing is we're taking those feelings we have from some other people that we have offended and they've shut off their love towards us. And we think we take that feeling and we plug it into our feelings towards God. God must not love me. How could he love me when he knows what I have done? And we don't really think that God loves us. We, we doubt his love. Now, what are some indicators of this? What are some ways that we can, can say, yeah, I, I really am doubting God's love? Well, if there's a lack of peace, if there's a lack of, of that inner sense of, yes, things are right between me and God, and things are, even though things may be kind of crazy in this world, it's okay. I've got this inner peace because I know that God loves me and I can rest in that. God showed me a couple of weeks ago that I was doubting his love when the big freeze started coming, okay? Now, the one we had a couple of years ago, next-door neighbors or a couple of houses down neighbors, they had the burst pipes with the ceilings falling in and insulation everywhere and three months out of their house before they could come back and all that kind of stuff. And we had one little leak last time that we got fixed real quick so it wasn't a problem but boy, here I, I'm, I'm just I'm, I'm doing everything I can covering up every pipe I can find all that kind of stuff and I, I'm really tense I'm really anxious about all this I don't have this inner peace and part of it was was I didn't really believe that God loved me until finally he kind of sat me oh by the way we did have one frozen pipe didn't leak we got the hair dryer fixed that but but somewhere along the way, God sat me down and said, Calvin, whose house is this? Lord, it's yours. And, and, and who am I again? Yeah, okay. And, and do I love you? <laughs> yeah, Lord. It was like God said, Calvin, don't you understand? Don't you get it? I love you. I'm going to care for you. Your pipes may burst, but that's part of my good plan. I've got something else I'm doing there, and you can trust me. You can trust me that I love you, Calvin. But it was that lack of inner peace that alerted me that I had my blade on wrong. I had something wrong that I didn't realize. It was a blind spot in me. And God said, Calvin, I love you. Maybe it's not a sense of inner peace. Maybe it's that sense of guilt. That when you kind of get quiet and by yourself, your mind goes back to that sin you committed last week, 10 years ago, and, and you still struggle with that. You still think, God, you must not love me. I, God's forgiven you through Christ. You don't have to feel guilty, but if you sense that guilt and if you're struggling with that guilt, maybe it's a sign, maybe it's an indicator that, that we're like the Israelites and we're saying, how have you loved us? I still feel guilty. How have you loved us? I don't have this inner peace. How have you loved us? Maybe, maybe we're saying, God, I, I, I doubt your love. 
I know I'm not supposed to, but I do. So how can we know that God loves us? Well, we're about to find out, but before we read the next couple of verses here, I need to tell you, in a sense, warn you. He's going to use a figure of speech. Now, what do I mean by a figure of speech? Well, that's where we use some words that don't have a, the direct meaning of those words. It's uh, somewhat under the surface. It's a, uh, uh, we say it and, and, and we don't mean exactly what it says directly, but it's kind of under this. Right now, what I'm doing is a figure of speech, <laughs> okay? Under the surface. Uh, we use figures of speech all the time. There's another one that we use. Now, you obviously know that when I say we use figures of speech all the time, I'm not saying that everything that I say all the time is a figure of speech. We, we understand that. Uh, I was talking with Terry uh, before, and, we, and I walked in this morning, and he saw the mic on it for a little prayer meeting time. He said, oh, you're preaching today. If I'd known that, I wouldn't have come. Well, we guys tease, tease each other that way. I mean, that, that's how we do stuff. In a sense, that was a figure of speech. What he was saying is, Calvin, I trust you enough to tease you a little bit. I love you enough, and we are, are brothers in Christ, and we can have this little moment of joy together kind of thing. That's what was going on there. So God uses figures of speech <laughs> all the time, particularly in the prophets. And he's about to use one here that's... Uh, well, let's look at it, and you'll see why I'm doing this introduction to it. Uh, you say, how have you loved us? Here comes the answer in the middle of verse 2. Was not Esau Jacob's brother? Pause there. Remember I talked about Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Esau. Jacob and Esau were two brothers. Jacob became the father of the Jewish nation. Esau did not. Jacob became the one that God was going to send the Messiah through. Esau was not. So that's Jacob and Esau. Was not Jacob Esau's brother, declares the Lord? Here comes the metaphor. Here comes the, the figure of speech. Yet I have loved Jacob, but I have hated Esau. Whoa. <laughs> Wait a minute. God hates somebody? I, I thought God loved everybody. Well, okay, again, figure of speech. What is he saying here? He can't mean that God hates you if you are a great-great-grandson of Esau, an Edomite. It can't mean that. Why can't it mean that? Because other scriptures make it crystal clear that God loves the world. Very direct, no metaphorical value, just straightforward, God loves the world. God loves everybody. That's crystal clear in scripture. So what is he saying here? Well, do you know that Jesus picked up some of this same kind of figure of speech. In fact, he said, if you want to follow me, you have to hate your father and your mother. Whoa, whoa, Jesus, are you sure about that? One of my mentors, a guy named Buford Cain, he was the first pastor I worked under, wonderful man, but very much old school. He pastored a little church in a oil town there. Well, his church was full of real roughnecks, and he preached about when Jesus said, you need to hate your father and mother if you're going to follow me. Well, the next day, this rough neck came to his office and said, I need to talk to you, preacher. You said I'm supposed to hate my mother and father. That's wrong. We're going to get this thing straight right now. Whoa, 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 whoa. I need to show you. I mean, it's right here in the Bible. Here, you can read it for yourself. You know I can't read. Now, we're going to get this thing straight. 
Fortunately, they did get it straight. But what was Jesus saying? He was saying, if you're going to follow me, sometimes it means you have to choose me over your parents. Uh, I have a friend in another part of the world that his, he was raised Jewish, but he decided to follow Jesus as his Messiah. Well, his parents are still Jewish. They get together on holidays. They see each other still. There's not as much bond as there used to be, but they still see each other. They're still nice to each other. They don't hate each other like that. But he chose Jesus over his parents. And that's what Jesus was saying. You need to choose me, if necessary, over your parents. And that's exactly what he's bringing out here. He's saying, how do you know I love you? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, but I have loved Jacob. I have chosen Jacob, I have not chosen Esau. I have chosen him, and it's like I love him, I hate him. Now, for us, we don't use that figure of speech, but in that day and time, it was a common figure of speech, even up to the time of Christ. That's how they would say things. Simply meaning, how did Israel know that God loved them? He chose them. Chose them for what? Chose them to be the best nation in the world? No, 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 no. He chose them. Even go back to Abraham. You are being chosen to be a blessing to the nations. Israel was going to be a blessing to the nations back then before Christ came. And even, of course, when Christ came through the Jewish nation, he's a blessing for the whole world. That's the purpose. That's why God protected them. That's why God delivered them from slavery. That's why God brought them back from exile. That's why God kept them a nation is so that Christ could come through them to bless the whole world. That was their purpose. That was why God chose them. And this passage goes on and says that, hey, look, I chose Jacob and not Esau, and I've made his mountains, that is, the Edomites, I've made their mountains a desolation, and appointed his inheritance for the jackals of the wilderness. Well, what, why? Well, if we're to go back and look at history, the Edomites were nasty people, uh, nasty towards Israel and nasty towards other folks. And God said, look, that's not going to work that way. And they may say, uh, though Edom says, we have been beaten down, but we will build, we will rebuild and build up the ruins, thus says the Lord of hosts. They may build, but I will tear them down. Men will call them a wicked territory and the people towards whom the Lord is indignant forever. So, again, the Israelites are saying, wait a minute. You brought us back from captivity. You didn't bring the Edomites back. You chose us. You didn't choose them. Do you know that when you trusted Christ as Savior, Part of that was affirming that God chose you. New Testament says it in this way. You are a chosen race. You Christians, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. Even the passage that Devin read talked about who will bring a charge against God's elect. God has chosen us. You are a royal priest. In Ephesians, it talks about you have been chosen before the foundations of the world. God chose you. How do you know that God loves you? He chose you. Now, we struggle a little bit here with, it, with an issue of, okay, wait a minute. So, so God chose me. 
but he didn't choose other people? Well, we've got to struggle with that. How do I know if God chose me or not? The way you know if God chose you or not is when you trusted Christ as Savior, it affirmed, it solidified, it validated that God has indeed chosen you. It's an issue of God's sovereignty and my free will. Oh, man, I struggle with that. I almost almost stepped away from the faith years ago because of that. I couldn't reconcile those two together. And in a sense, I never have been able to fully reconcile them. But two things have helped me. One is this. I'm not God. And I'm not going to understand everything. And if I did, what kind of God would that be? Somebody that I can understand? Hmm. No. The other thing that helped me was, wait a minute. If God chose me, that changes how I think about my salvation. Years ago, I was with a Christian theater company. This was back in my 20s, and a bunch of 20-year-olds, had this, we had this Christian theater company. Jeanette Cliff was our, our director, and uh, big stuff. We toured all over Houston, all over Texas and stuff, and she went to make a movie. Well, before she went to make a movie, she gathered us and said, okay, now while I'm gone, we need to understand who's going to be in charge around here. Calvin is the production manager. And I sat there and went, whoa. I was out of the blue. I had no idea she was going to ask me to do that. But it was interesting. After she went and I was, quote, in charge, when those tough decisions had to come up, you know what helped me? She chose me. Out of these 10 different actors, she chose me. And that changed the way I thought about my role. God chose you. He chose you to be a light to the nations. He chose us to be exactly what he wants us to be. So how do we know that God loves us? He chose you. I mean, I I wish I could, you know, individually, each person, when you trusted Christ, God chose you. That was part of God's choice of you. He has chosen you. And that should change how we live. We should be living in his love that's demonstrated by his choice of us. And folks, again, I I do not understand, I cannot fully explain how God's sovereignty and our free will fit together. And this passage doesn't go into all the details of that. It's not supposed to. It's simply saying you need to recognize something. God chose you. He loves you. How do you know? He chose you. (laughs) Isn't that amazing? That the God of the universe chose me. Well, now, so what? What do we do with this? Look at verse 5. Your eyes will see this. Israel, you're going to see this. And you will say, the Lord be magnified beyond the borders of Israel. You're going to see that he's going to work in the nation of Edom. And not only that, you're going to see that he has chosen you. And you're going to say, Lord, may you be glorified beyond the borders of Israel. Lord, be glorified beyond my own little world. Let your light shine through me. Live in God's love. That means you obey him. That means you follow him. And again, not to take away joy, but to maximize joy. Not to take away freedom, but to maximize that freedom to live like God wants you to. Oh, my friends. Oh, Calvin. 
Never doubt God's love because he chose us. He chose me. He chose you. Father in heaven, we give you thanks. And though we don't understand all of this, Lord, we don't understand how how you could possibly, uh, I don't know, Lord, have have a plan that we would choose you and you choose us. And uh, Father, it, it's, it is confusing to us, but Lord, thank you. Thank you that this we know, that you love us, that you chose us, and you have a purpose, you have a plan that is wonderful for us to spread your light to the world. Oh God, let us do that. Let us live in your love. So Father, as we're going to be singing a bit and we're going to be praying here in a second, empower us. Empower us to live out the words that we sing and the words that we will pray. We depend upon your spirit, God. Only by him can we do this. So we look to you, Lord, through Jesus. If you would stand, Blake's going to lead us and he's going to lead us in this closing prayer as well. So let's stand together and, and respond to what the Father's been doing.